All right, so that's what we call neighbortude here at the chapel, simply loving the literal neighbors that God has given to us. And if you're confused what the good stuff is when it comes to candy, it involves chocolate and peanut butter. Not and now somebody after first hour said it's gonna melt. That's all right. Melted chocolate and peanut butter is better than jelly beans. <laughs> chocolate and peanut butter. That's the good stuff. All right. So last week we saw from Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus introduced the church. And he did it very briefly. And what we talked about last week was the reality that when it happened. I don't think the disciples were able to capture the moment for all that it was. I think in hindsight, they went, wow, that was really a critical moment. But in that moment, they probably missed it. So when Jesus introduces the church, he did it in pretty few words. And in fact, for our text this morning, the message is going to be limited to five words. So you may be thinking, oh, we're getting out early today. But you cannot imagine how much there is to say about five words that Jesus said. The five words are this, I will build my church. Now the context of which Jesus said those five words, I will build my church, was that he had taken a survey. He had said to the disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? And they answered. And then he said, second question, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, wow, Peter, I know you. You're not smart enough to figure that out when yourself. Actually, that's been revealed to you by my father in heaven. And then he says to him this, verse 18 of Matthew 16. I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock are five words, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower. So last week, if you missed it real quick, we defined what Jesus meant when he said upon this rock. And we said that the scripture we believe and teach very clearly at the chapel is that the person and work of Jesus Christ is the foundation upon which the church is built. When Jesus said, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. He was talking about himself, that he was indeed the Christ, and he would be the foundation upon which the church would be built. The apostles who were there listening, they were the privileged individuals to be the first proclaimers of the gospel. And therefore, as the first proclaimers, they laid the foundation. Now, very critical that we remember, there's a huge difference between the foundation and laying the foundation. The foundation is Jesus. Those who laid the foundation were the apostles. And because they understood they were simply layers of the foundation, and Jesus was the foundation, they strongly rebuked any worship that was directed toward themselves. It's not that they just didn't solicit it. It's that they rebuked it. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to just look real quickly at two passages in Acts. 
First, Acts chapter 10, and we're going to look at Acts 10 a little more closely next week, because there, a Gentile named Cornelius is privileged to have the Apostle Peter come to his house. And we'll see why next week. But in Acts 10, we have this record of what happens when Peter goes, verse 25, what happens when Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Verse 25, Acts 10, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and, and he fell at his feet and did what? What's it say? And he worshiped Peter. Now at this moment, Peter doesn't go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I wouldn't ask him for that. No, 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 no. You don't need to do that. What's he do? It says, but Peter raised him up. Can you picture that? Do you understand what it means when it says Peter raised him up? That means he did what? He grabbed him and said, don't do that. He didn't go, oh, no, no, no. He literally grabs the dude, probably by the shoulders, and picks him up and says, stand up. I am just a man. You got me as more than what I am. I'm just a man. I don't deserve worship. Almost the exact same thing. Different calls, but same thing happens a few chapters later. Go to Acts 14. This time it's not Peter. This time it's Paul and Barnabas. God has, through them, just performed a miracle. And it says in Acts 14, verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker of the gods. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands at the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Sacrifices to whom? Paul and Barnabas. He wants to act for sacrifices in their honor. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, watch, it's not passive. It's not just they didn't solicit it. They tear their robes, and they rush. They like run into the crowd, and they say, men, why are you doing these things? And don't miss, almost exactly like Peter, we are also men of the same nature as you. Don't do this. You have us for more than what we are. Listen, is it true that God uses some people in super significant ways for his kingdom. Sure, in our day, there was none greater than Billy Graham. I mean, the celebration that has gone down in honor of him. Uh, but you know, Billy Graham would have been the first, just like Peter, just like Paul, just like Barnabas, to say, hey, stop that. I'm just, I'm just a man. You see, worship in the church, worship in the church has to be rooted in the reality. Only Jesus gets to be worshiped because everybody else is just, just men, just people. In fact, they say, we're here to preach the gospel to you so that you turn from these vain things to a living God, someone who is worthy of worship because he made the heaven and the earth and the sea 
and all that is in them. So the foundation, this rock in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, is Jesus. And he says, and upon this rock, myself and my work, I will build my church. So we're going to look at those five words, but we're going to look at it backwards. We're going to start with church because we really can't wait to define church until the end of the message. So let's start with church, then we'll go to my, then to build, then to will, then to I. All right, backwards. Some of you go, that's the way I read anyway, so this is perfect. All right, so I will build my church. Church, the church is people. When Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, he was not talking a building. He was talking people, not a building. Now, I say that because most of you in the room would, would you go, I, I, know, I know that, I know that. But you almost always refer to the church as a place, a location. And we've got to get it into our head. When Jesus talked about church, when Jesus introduced it, he was talking about people, not a building. Not a facility, not a location, people. He was talking about us. But specifically, he was talking about people who have been, this is the meaning, who've been called out. When Jesus said, I will build my church, hear this, I will build my people whom I have called out. That's what he's saying. I will build my people whom I've called out. Called out from what? Well, I hope you called it in our remembering by the Lord's Supper. We who are the people of God have been, are people who have been called out from death into life. So when, when Jesus says, I will build my church, he's going, I will build People who I've called from death to life. So, are you a part of the church? No, you, you ask the normal person on the street, like, hey, are you part of a church? Oh, yeah, and what do they say? I attend, and then they name a place. And they ask you, what do you mean you're a part there? Oh, I went through a class, or I signed a letter. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is talking about, to the answer to this question, are you part of the people whom he's called out? Simply this. Have you become his? Have you, Scripture says, here's how we become his. Have you admitted that not only all have sinned, I have sinned? Make it personal. I have sinned. And the wages, what I deserve for my sin is death. But I believe, and we declared this together in song, but I believe that he, Jesus, who was sinless, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he paid the penalty on my behalf. That the, the condemnation and the judgment that I deserved was poured out on him so that I could receive a free gift to become alive, a child of God, a new life. So, this morning, 
When I say, hey, are you part of the church? Well, yeah, I'm here. No, I'm not talking about here. We're not talking about a place. And I'm not asking, did you sign a letter somewhere? I'm asking you. I'm getting the incredible privilege to tell you this morning. You can become part of the people of God, regardless of where you meet. You can become part of the people of God by acknowledging. I deserve God's wrath, but Jesus took it on my behalf. He, he loves me. Couldn't love me more. Loves me perfectly and invites me to be his child, to trust in him. See, that's the question for you this morning. When Jesus introduces the church, he introduces a distinct people who admit, believe, and receive. Have you admitted, believed, and received? If you have, regardless of where you go to a place, you are the church. You are the people called out from death to life. Now, what does he say about the church in our five words? I will build my church. In other words, what's he saying about the church? Oh, so this building's his. No, no, stop it. <laughs> what's he saying about it? We who have been called out belong to him. That, that my church simply is Jesus telling us that those whom he has called out from death to light belong to him. First Corinthians chapter 6 when Paul's writing Corinth, there are these people who have worshipped the idols. They have been a city saturated in sexual immorality. But now they've trusted in Jesus. But they have new thoughts they need to think. And one of those new thoughts is this. Do you not know that your body, speaking to people, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. God does not dwell in a, billet, a building. He dwells in a person who is trusted in him, whom you have from God, and that you therefore are not your own. Why not? <laughs> For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Well, really, one of the coolest things I saw as a dad number of years ago, I walked into my daughter's room and she had one of those mirrors that are what, like 18 inches wide and four feet long, you hang on the wall. And she had taken a dry erase marker and written on the mirror, not my own. This is a sweet reminder because when you look in the mirror, why are you looking in the mirror? This is not a hard question. To see what repairs need to be done, right? It's just that you look in the mirror to go, oh, okay, what do I? You look in the mirror to see you. And when you look in the mirror to see you, this is, we would probably all do well to take a dry erase marker or a permanent marker if you really don't want to go after it. Just think about it when you sell your house. You, you, you want to look at yourself and continually go, I, I'm not my own. I've been bought. See, I'm the church. I've been called out from death to life. It's a great, great 
daily reminder, because we all look in the mirror a ton. Not my own, because, he says, you've been bought. Christ has bought you. He has paid the penalty for you. He has been your substitute. And not only has he bought you, he actually owns you twice. He created you in his image. He made you for his glory. He made you to be in relationship with him. But we all went our own way. We did our own thing. And then he bought us back what he already owned. That's the church. Not a building. Not a place. People who have been bought by Jesus. Who go, I'm not my own. Jesus doesn't dwell in here. The Spirit of God dwells in here. See yourself rightly, people. See yourself for who the Scripture says you are, loved by God, and for those who have trusted and believed and received and dwelt by him, children of God. I will build my church. So I just said it. What's he going to do with his church? I will build it. I will build my church. So when he builds his church, it's simply saying that Jesus is expanding his people. Not not a bigger building. He's expanding his people in two ways. First of all, in breadth. And I don't mean with chocolate and peanut butter. He, he is expanding his people in breath. In other words, this is not complicated. He is expanding the people who are admitting, believing, and receiving. And he is going to expand it until this is revealed to us in heaven. This is what's going to be true. The Revelation 5 declares this about Jesus. Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased. Remember, you were bought and purchased for God with your blood men from every what? And every, and every, and every. See, that, that is, that's what Jesus says is what I'm going to do. And so it seems like a lot longer than this ago, but you know, it was only four weeks ago that Wayne Mangum stood up here in my place because I was in South Carolina for Jackie's mom's funeral. And he talked about God's heart for the unreached. And we gave you, if you were here that Sunday morning, we gave you this little booklet that said, here are five ways that you, you can be a part of what Jesus said he's gonna do on this planet. And that is to have a people we tried to hunt people a nation who are called from death to life. And that's not true on the planet right now. There are peoples, there are tribes, there are tongues who do not yet have the truth of the gospel. And you could make a difference. That was our simple intent was to see the heart of God and to see that you could make a difference. And it's only been 30 days, and, and my concern is we've moved on and forgotten. And this might still be stuck in your Bible, or you, after three weeks, went, oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you done anything? Can I bring it back to your mind that you would go, no, we, we, we said we we're going to do something. We need to not put that off. 
Whether you're going to say, we want to participate with what's happening in India. We're going to choose one of our commended missionaries who are engaged with the unreached. We're going to connect with ICM. We're going to connect with the Jesus film. We're going to participate in a short-term trip or help somebody go on a short-term trip. One of those five ways, we're going to do something about reaching the unreached. Life gets busy, life gets full, and you got all that other stuff going on, and this may have gotten pushed to the side. So I'm simply bringing it back because this is simply a tool that lines up with what Jesus said I will build my church. I'm going to expand it in breadth. We get the privilege of being a part. Don't miss the opportunity. There's few things that you and I could be more privileged to be a part of than that is seeing this being a part of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, worshiping the one who has bought them. But it's not just in breadth. Jesus expanding his people in breadth and depth. Maturity. In fact, Ephesians 4 gives us this great picture. It says, we are no longer to be children. Now, I don't know if you've ever been struck by this, but actually... Other times the Bible says to act like a child. So which is it? Should we be children or not be children? Well, it depends what we're talking about. When it comes to our trust in our Heavenly Father, we should be like children who go, Dad, I don't understand. I don't know what's happening, but I got your hand. You got mine. I'm not afraid you're with me. That's what Matt was talking about as we declared in song the promises of God. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Trust like a child trusts his father. But in this situation, don't be like a child. (laughs) What's the picture here? We're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Have you not been to the beach and seen a kid get whacked by a wave? Just tumbled and rolled? I remember as a kid that thinking, oh man, I'm going to, this is, see, I wasn't in Florida yet, so I, you know, you got to go to the ocean. Pennsylvania drive like three hours to get to the ocean. And you went like two days a year trying to body surf and inexperienced body surfer just pounded right in, came up. You got this big goose right here. What happened? Well, I ate the bottom of a, that happens spiritually to people. And he's saying, don't be like that. Don't be the kid that gets pummeled by the wave. There's all sorts of stuff in our world. You surf the internet, you can find anything. Shows up in your email, turn on your radio, turn on TV, and you got people espousing all sorts of thoughts and ideas. And some of us are like kids, and we kind of latch on to what, oh, did you know? Don't be that kid that gets carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in the love, in love, we are to, can you, can you predict what's the next two words? For not to be children, what's the next two words? We are to, yeah, grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Do you remember when you, physically speaking now, do you remember when you stopped growing? Do you remember how old you were? Some of you go, I was 18, or I was 16, or I didn't stop growing until I was 21. Some of us stopped too soon. 
But is it true that literally everybody physically speaking stops growing at some point? Yes, unless we go this way. But then there's a, we reach a point where we're like, okay, so let's just use rough numbers. For 20 years physically, we go like this, and then for the next 40, 45, we're like this. And then I'll never forget the day that I learned that what happens next. That's ungodly. I had no idea. I was literally out here in the workroom walking through on a Sunday morning and this elderly deacon guy goes, I've shrunk three inches. And I stopped in my tracks. I said, are you serious? I thought, maybe we're talking three-eighths of an inch. Three inches. I was like, Someday I'm going to be up here this tall, but standing here, but I'm going to be this tall. You're like, we can't see you. You, everybody grows up, everybody plateaus, and then everybody shrinks. And some of it spiritually as well. See, what, what does God intend for you for as, as long as you have breath? that you would be in this, in this steady incline from childhood to growing into Christ-likeness. But there ought to be all this. But spiritually, it's almost scary how much we mimic our physical life. People come to Christ and they grow like weeds. And then it almost always seems to be true. Then they plateau. And then some of the saddest things is, uh, and then some people, it's not just older folks. Some people start to shrink. They lose grace and they start getting critical and judgmental and narrow. Unloving. Start returning to childhood. Hey, we've all seen it physically. This, this, this. But friends, please, you hearing me? That is not what's intended to happen spiritually. This, spiritually, we're to be growing up into Christ. Are you growing? Have you plateaued? God forbid, are you shrinking? Listen, listen. Jesus said, I will build my church. So, uh, I hope you're listening right now. (laughs) If you have hit a plateau or if you are shrinking, Jesus is committed to do what he said he's going to do. And the vine, in the image in John 15 is, when the vine dresser doesn't see fruit happening... He gets busy. And ain't nobody like that. It's not always the reason. But sometimes the reason God's bringing pain into my life, pain into your life, is because we just stopped growing. Oh, we, stopped going. We, we still went to church, still went to Bible study, we still did all that stuff. We just stopped responding to truth. 
And she just kind of got stuck. The Lord brings a little sheer madness. Because he is committed to build in breadth and in depth. Because what's the word before build? I will build my church. In other words, the expansion, both in breadth and depth of the church, is a definite possibility. Oh, please don't write that down. Seriously? <laughs> I really, I, I, I really was like, oh, they'll, they'll chuckle at this. Do we, do we understand the word of will? <laughs> you are Peter, and upon this rock I just might build my church. Now, I, <laughs> it's an absolute promise. It's a certainty. It, it is, if you're tracking with me, Jesus says, I absolutely for sure will expand in breadth and in depth the people whom I've called from life, from death into life. That's the amplified version, if you will of the five words. I, for absolute certainty, I'm going to expand in breadth and in depth the people who I've called out of death into life. That's what Jesus says, I will build my church. So we're back to the first word, I. He says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, that I will do it. I'll build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail, will not overpower it. It's the promise. It's the certainty. I. Who's the I? Jesus, right? Now, you, you get this. Whose church is it? Jesus. Who's going to build it? Jesus is going to build his church. Which is funny because we just said at the beginning that the apostles laid the foundation. So I thought Jesus was going to build the church. It didn't go very far. The apostles ended up being the ones who laid the foundation. Well, you get what I'm saying? Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, but check out 1 Peter chapter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Who's he talking about here? Yes, the church. He's talking about you who have admitted, believed, and received. You have been taken from Death to life, you, you are a chosen race, you are, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you, you are a people, you were bought, you're a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You capture it? See, Jesus will build his church, but Jesus builds people because that's the church. Jesus builds people through people. He builds it through people. 
on the night that Jesus is crucified, he's having the Passover meal with the apostles. And he says to them, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is where? In me. So Jesus in the Father, Father in Jesus. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father, don't miss this, the Father abiding where? In me does his works. So whose works were Jesus about? He was about his Father's works. So it was the Father's works. But who did them? Yeah, you see, it's church, it's Jesus. Except no. What's the verse say? Who did them? But the Father abiding in me does his works. Did you catch that? The Father's works are done by the Father. How? Through Jesus. And you go, oh, that's just semantics. No, it's not. This is, this is the key to understanding really what it means to be in relationship with Christ. To recognize that the Jesus who we trust in was the instrument through which the Father did the Father's works. Because just minutes later, Jesus then turns to the 12 who had just told him about he and the Father and says to them, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in, in me and I in him. What's this sound like? Just minutes ago, he had said this exact same language with his relationship with the Father. He was in the Father, and the Father was in him. Now, minutes later, he says, I'm in you, and you are in me. To bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Whose church is it? Five words. Whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. <laughs> Who's going to build it? I will build my church. I and my. It's his church, and he's going to build it. How? Well, he started with the apostles. He said, I I'm going to do it through you. You're going to lay a foundation. Other people are going to follow you, and, and I'm going to do it. Continue to work in building in breadth and depth through them. How today, 2018, is Jesus building his people? Through us, his people. Jesus builds people through people. But sometimes we miss it or we know it, but we don't live with that urgency. So God gave me a, a great reminder that I needed Thursday. We do this thing called Thursday Bible Forum. And so I was just did it Thursday at lunch, and the owner of the business trying to give me money for doing it. I was like, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. And we do this dance. And finally, I take it and I put it in my pocket. But I texted him later. So I felt really guilty. I didn't, I didn't think I wanted it. But I was driving back to the church. And it was one of those moments where it was that sense of the Lord saying, Doug, 
just maximize the privilege to pass it along. I gave it to you. Just give it to somebody else. And all of a sudden, my heart was like, oh, I'm alive to that. But then what was the big question? Who? Because in reality, have you ever offered cash to people and go, nah, I don't really like cash? No, I've never met many people who don't like cash. So I could have freely given it to anybody and they would have gone, sweet. But I had a sense, no, Lord, you've given it to me to, to pass along. I just don't know who. So all afternoon, the antenna's up like, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? <laughs> and then, totally unexpected, in this conversation with this guy, and I went, that's the guy. Now, I tell you that because... Man, do I want to learn to not in that moment, but in every moment. See, that's what, that's what life is intended to be about. Of God giving me stuff. And I'm not just talking about money. Comfort. Truth. Kindness. And then my antenna up for every opportunity to do what? Share it with somebody else. That's people building. It's simply saying, uh, I'm going to take what has been given to me and seek to pass it on to others. When when we say Jesus builds people through people, I want us to understand we were meant to be people builders because the church is people. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build them in breadth and in depth, and I'm going to do it through my people. The new t- See, I, I'm approaching it like this because we have a New Testament word for, a phrase for this. And we all know it. It's just we don't really get it. We, oh, we go, oh, you mean disciple making? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Except usually when people hear disciple making, they think, oh, I need to get like a curriculum little book, maybe my Bible. And we're going to sit down, three of us, around a little table. And we're going to talk and then we're going to pray and amen. I'm discipling you. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Except that is like a super, super small slice of what it really means to make disciples. Can I give you a big picture of disciple making? That, that would happen, or could, this is, this is what God was doing in my heart Thursday afternoon. That could happen really every afternoon if our antenna was up to simply say, God, I'm very aware today of what you have built into me. And I'm looking for informal conversations Moments where I get to simply pass on the comfort that you comforted me with, the kindness that you have expressed me. You have helped me, Lord. How could I help somebody else? That's disciple-making. I'm kind of honored that this morning here in South is a guy who discipled me, Tim Lusk.
We never sat down around a table and went through a book together. He was a horrible disciple maker. <laughs> what do you do? You just live life with me? Taught me what people had taught him. See, it started with the apostles. They received something from Jesus and they went, let me give it. And then people received it from the apostles. And they said, oh, let me build people. And those people received from those people and they said, let me build people. Sometimes our gear gets stuck. And we're like, oh. And then we just rust right there. You know how much stuff has been poured into you people? Seriously. How much stuff, how much truth, how much kindness, how much help, how much wisdom has been poured into you people? And you have rusted up. Instead of going, I've been discipled to make disciples to disciple to make disciples. So, thank you, my brother. We think too programmatically. Think people. We think facilities. Think people. We think Wednesday night discipleship. Think Thursday afternoon. Just think relationships. And think about, in those moments, what does God build into you? I mean, really, when's the last time you, and I don't mean you stood in the street corner and repeated a sermon you received. I'm simply saying, really, when's the last time the Lord spoke to you in a message and then in conversation, you build it into somebody else? It wasn't like 7.30 at Tuesday morning. It's just life. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church through people. It's his work, his church, and he's not going to stop. Let's not get stuck. Let's swing it, man. Swing it. Receive it and give it. Receive it and give it. That's the church. And so, God, I pray that you would, you'd grow us up. And if there's a need for confession, for getting stuck, some gears jammed here, Lord, I pray that there'd be responsive hearts just right there in the quietness of their seat that'd say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've had so much given, so much comfort, so much truth, so much love poured in. So little given. Lord, you're going to build your church. I pray that we'd be a part. (laughs) In breadth and depth. To the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if we can pray for you. Prayer available here. Joni announced, if we have your guest, we'd love to, to meet you there. Really glad that you're here. I hope you'll go give 
what you've received. God bless.